It is um, my rather humbling honor this morning to walk us all through a beautiful gospel passage, a, a passage that many of you are very familiar with, yet um, some of you may not yet know. And um, truly, that is the beauty of the Bible. It's a meal for all. It's, um, it's a meal that whether you just show up starving or whether uh, you don't even know you're hungry yet or you've been feasting on it for some time, um, there's room at this table for all. So um, we will be in Ephesians 2. If you do not have a Bible, Rick and Eric are handing out Bibles. Just raise your hand and they'll bring you a sanitized copy. If you um, don't have a Bible, you can keep that one, and we hope it will come to mean as much to you as it means to us. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But... God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. You may be seated as we pray. Lord, would you please cause the beauty of your gospel to shine through our time in your word this morning. May your light shine into our hearts to cast out all darkness and shine out of our hearts as an outward expression of our new life in Christ throughout our days. Amen. So, um... This passage had me thinking about um, compelling stories and why it is that we love a good plot twist. Um, compelling narratives that have a plot twist, and in particular, one that brings about a happy ending that we weren't expecting. Um, you know what I mean? Like, the princess has been cast into um, eternal slumber, and there's, there's no way that... She's going to be rescued at this point. It's always completely doomed um, until, of course, it's not. But it's at the last minute. 
I think it's the final petal is about to fall off of the bloom, and that's when Prince Charming shows up to break the curse. We don't want to see it coming. For the boys, I mean, think of it, it's the final battle. And the, the army of the good guys is there against the army of the bad guys. And the bad guys are always bigger, meaner, stronger. I mean, it always looks like it's not going to happen. There's that scene when our hero, I mean, you see the realization dawn on his face. He's looking around, probably in slow motion at the carnage. I mean, he's not going to win. And that's when the neighboring kingdom's army shows up thundering down the hill, right? To push them over the edge and to defeat the bad guys. And so when we think about that and what's compelling about that, why is it? I mean, why can't the fairy tale just be a blissfully happy royal couple just going on from bliss to bliss forever and ever? And, uh, and my thoughts were that Maybe that's because we need to relate to the story. And our story, it's not perpetual bliss. I mean, it looks more like the part before the plot twist. You know, we, we work hard, we try to get ahead, we get knocked back sideways. Life, life is hard. And I think maybe we're hoping that the cavalry's coming, that help is on the way, even when we don't see any evidence of it. Anyway, so those are my musings, but I would like to really dig into the passage to unpack what this passage has to say about it. And so I, I'm um, suggesting we dig through this together in four sections. We'll start with uh, the gift of God is salvation. If, if you like to take notes, the, the four sections, the second one will be the gift of God is salvation by grace. And then we'll look at the gift of God is salvation by grace through faith. And then the fourth section, the gift of God is salvation by grace through faith for good works. But let's start with the gift of God is salvation. Salvation from what? What is it that we're being saved from? Uh, I have to tell you, before I came to Christ, on a couple of occasions, um, nice Christian people uh, approached me and offered to save me, and I didn't know what I was supposed to be saved from, and I didn't realize I needed saving at all. Uh, from my perspective, it felt like I was out for a nice refreshing swim, and they came along and started throwing life jackets at me. I was like, cut it out. I'm just out for a swim here. Now, in fairness, I didn't realize that I was taking my refreshing dip in the Niagara River. So where does Paul start us off? Let's, let's look at verses 1 through 3. And for context, I mean, this is a letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus, which in the first chapter he makes clear is a solid church of Christians. And so through this um, book, he's addressing all um, like churches throughout the ages, which... Uh, we are blessed to be one. And so in chapter 2, Paul starts this way at the beginning of our passage. And you were dead. Okay, so, I mean, if this is the final battle scene, we just showed up in a body bag. 
it, it doesn't really bode well for our contribution to this particular fight. Let's read on, though. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Dead in sin. Death in sin. Now, we've seen this duo before. I mean, we spent a fair bit of time in Genesis um, earlier in the year. And so we know that death and sin enter God's storyline pretty early. The Bible tells us in Genesis that God creates the universe and everything in it, and he declares it good. It's Adam and Eve and a place for them to live in perfect communion with him, and he declares it very good. Until, that is, sin crashes the party. Adam and Eve, they reject God's authority over them. They break his simple rule. They rebel against him and say, I want to be in control. I want to be the master of my own destiny. So they reject Eden. They reject their perfect relationship with God for the sake of self-rule. And that is how sin enters into the world. And with it, sin's partner in crime, death. See, God explains it this way, as retold by Moses in Genesis 3. Because you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat, then by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Sin and death are now spreading throughout the world, hand in hand. And we all are heirs to Adam and Eve. We've all inherited their rebellious hearts, their sinful natures. We pursue our own selfish ambitions rather than submit to God's good plan for us. And with it, death ravages our bodies. I mean, from birth, we reject authority. Before we've learned to walk or talk, we've thrown tantrums demanding our own way. We've kicked and screamed and bitten. And death and sin are already at work in our bodies and our cells start the process of age and decay. Death's taken hold. And of course, as we age, that process doesn't go away. It certainly doesn't even slow. We've grown up in this sin. We've walked in it, as Paul says in verse 2, following the course of this world. We're swept up in it. Think about how powerful the course of the world is, how strong its influence on our minds. I mean, how many of your core principles or beliefs would you hold if you were born simply in a different country? If you were born and raised in Russia or China, in a favela in Brazil or a slum outside of Mumbai, how many of your core beliefs would you still hold if you were born in a different era, the 1800s, the first century? The world exerts tremendous power. It influences our mind. If you want to try to go against the course of the world, I mean, you might as well try to swim against the course of the Niagara River. And where is the course of the world heading anyways? What, what is guiding it? 
Paul says they are following the prince of the power of the air. What a title. The power of the air that is all around us, that fills every space, that fills our nostrils, our lungs. It's the area of influence that Satan has. It's everywhere. We really should never underestimate the power that Satan exerts over the world. The air can, it can stir discreetly like a draft against our necks, like a breeze against our ear, but it can also just have the power of Hurricane Katrina just ravaging and devastating everything in its path. The power of the air, I mean, the breeze tells you, go ahead and click, it's not a big deal. And then the hurricane force propels a multi-billion dollar industry that's built on the exploitation of vulnerable young girls. It fuels a company like the one based in Montreal. Itself clears a billion dollars a year, hires a thousand people, and was revealed recently, monetizes videos of rape. It's the 10th most, most visited website across all categories in the world. Up there, Facebook and Google. The world is all in on sin. The course of the world is led by the prince of the power of the air. Let's not allow ourselves to believe that we're in control in the breeze because when that gets upgraded, we will be tossed by the storm. And please, let's not let our guard down because we're not susceptible to a particular expression of sin. It says, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We're not exempt. We have all at one time rejected God's perfect plan, swapped out submission to God for self-rule, self-determination, self-reliance, self-exaltation, love of God for love of self. We followed the course of the world which inevitably leads to empty promises, condemnation, and death. You see, that is what we've been saved from. We no longer follow the course of the world. Our minds are freed from the lies, and we now live in the light of God's truth. Women are not objects of lust. They're daughters of the king, and they carry within them the dignity of their maker. Men are not hopeless slaves to their impulses. They're sons of the king, and they carry within them the power and self-control of Christ. We're no longer being swept up by the course of the world. We're no longer being swept down the Niagara River. We've been plucked out of its waters. You see, that is the gift of God, salvation from death and sin. 
So let's start to think a little bit about how this works. Section two, the gift of God is salvation by grace. Look at what happens in verse four. I mean, Paul's laid out in pretty stark terms how dire our situation is. And then two words introduce verse four. Yes, the situation is hopeless. We were dead. But God, like the two paddles of a defibrillator, but God, they bring us back. Let's read, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loves us. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We've got a pulse. Keep reading. By grace you've been saved. Our sin just ran into God's grace. That's the plot twist. So, what is grace anyways? I mean, what is this death-defying secret weapon? Because the world actually has a definition of grace. I can tell you about the world's definition of grace because I worked in the credit card industry for a decade, so I'm a bit of an expert. It works this way. You've gotten yourself into debt. If you work it off, pay off every last penny on our terms, let's say within a reasonable time frame, 15 days, then we will not add to your debt load. We will not charge you additional interest. That's the deal. That's the world's grace. We all know that's not going to defeat sin. It's on you to right every wrong you've ever committed, everything you've ever said, done, everyone you've ever offended. Do it on our terms, and we will not heap any additional condemnation onto you. It's a great deal. In fact, I worked both on the marketing side and the collections side of a credit card company. So I can tell you about the empty promises and the condemnation. It starts with, go ahead, don't worry about how you're going to pay for that. Treat yourself. Everybody else already has one, go ahead. And very soon, that breeze has been upgraded to a storm. And here comes the condemnation. What were you thinking? You can't afford that. Did you not read the fine print? What a mess you have created for yourself. One last thing on credit cards. Sorry, indulge me. <laughs> the worst credit cards have something called two-cycle billing. So if you miss a payment, it calculates interest on two billing cycles. It's interest on interest. How long do you think it would take you to pay off a credit card by making your monthly payments once two-cycle billing kicks in? Never. You will never pay it off. That's how sin works. You can try to work off your sins. You can try to stop sinning. It's not going to work on your own strength. You can't make restitution for your past sin, no matter how hard you try. That's not God's grace. See, God's grace, it wipes the slate clean. Your debt's been repaid in full. This is important. The debt was real. We've all racked up the credit card. But now the balance owing is zero. No more over-limit fees, interest charges. 
You see, God was not content to have us at odds with him. He's actively working in your life to reestablish a relationship with you. But he cannot allow our sin to blemish his glory. So he did what he had to do. He willingly gave up his only son, Jesus, to pay that price for us. And the cost was crushing. It was that of death on a Roman cross, an instrument of torture. And Jesus willingly took on that cost out of love for us, love for God the Father. Not without first pleading for any other way. But he submitted to God's will, something we've been unable to do. So that our relationship with our perfect God could be reestablished. That's the story of God's grace, that he so loved the world that he gave up his son. And you see, the power of death could not hold Jesus after three horrifying days. God raised him to life, according to the witness accounts of hundreds that are recorded in the Bible. Jesus escaped the bonds of death and returned to God the Father to rule in power. And that is what powers the defibrillator that raises us to life also. Raised not just to life as it was, but to new life in Christ. We who live in Christ no longer are enslaved to sin. The credit card's been chopped up. No more credit card illustrations. We're not perfect. We're not sinless but we're no longer following the course of this world. We are indeed swimming against the course of the Niagara River. And so some of you may be asking, well, if Christ conquered sin and death, why is the world continuing its course? That's a fair question. And it's our third section. The gift of God is salvation by grace through faith. If indeed God's plan worked, why is the world still marching on as if nothing happened? And for that matter, why is there still death? Well, salvation by grace is a gift, but many reject the gift. Jesus puts it this way as recorded in John 3, verses 19 to 20. So, yeah, 19 to 20. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. The power of sin is strong. The lure of being our own God is strong. So sin lives on in the hearts of many. For God's plan's not complete yet. God is being patient. He wants as many people as possible to realize they cannot pay off their debt. Recognize that they need someone to do that on their behalf. So how does that work anyways? Do we find faith? Do we make a decision for Christ? 
Do we make ourselves believe? Are we struck by lightning? Well, you see, we Christians, we decided to accept this faith because it makes sense, right? Some of us had to work at it a little harder. We mustered up our strength and turned it into faith. <laughs> no, that's definitely not the way it works, especially not according to what Paul is saying. Remember, we're in the body bag here, so it's hard to claim that we're instrumental in this particular victory. The way Paul explains it, the faith is part of the gift. This is a bit mind-bending, but the faith to accept the gift is part of the gift itself. Let's read verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The this and the it here, especially in the original Greek, it's much more obvious. They don't just refer to um, the gift, but the whole thing. The salvation by grace through faith. The faith is part of the gift. When... When I personally came to faith, I was still arguing with Tim about all sorts of things that I thought I needed to know or I could accept Christ. Like C.S. Lewis, I was a reluctant convert to Christ. But Josh, he said something to me. He, he said, you know, at this point, I'd been attending church a little bit. He said... If you want to know if God is real, quiet your mind and pray to God that he would reveal himself to you. God would reveal himself to me. Like he would do the work. And I mean, I don't know that Josh looked at it this way, but looking back now, that actually sounds... This is going to go to his head, but it sounds like something Moses said in Exodus to the Israelites. When, when the Israelites were, they'd come out of Egypt, they're at the Red Sea, and they see no path forward. I mean, they're skeptical. They, they turn downright cynical. They say to Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt just to, for us to die here? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? And I mean, it's easy to judge, but put yourself in their shoes. They've been through a lot. Forced servitude, the plagues, the angel of death. And now they're caught between, on the one side, the most powerful army in the world thundering down towards them. On the other side, the sea. I mean, short of a plot twist, they're doomed. They might as well be in the grave. They might as well be in the body bag. So what is it that Moses says? Exodus 14, 14. He says, The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. God will fight for you. All you have to do is be quiet. It's the same advice. So I, I, I did. I stopped my arguing. I quieted my mind. And on July 8th of 2012 in that building, I prayed that 
God would reveal himself to me. And he did, and like a defibrillator to the heart, I was raised to new life, having none of the answers I thought I needed to, 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 to figure out. But knowing with all my heart that God is real and my life has been irreversibly changed. Because the faith is part of the gift. This is one more section. Section four. The gift of God is salvation by grace through faith for good works. Here it comes, right? You knew there was a catch. If you have to work for your gift, it's not a gift. There's no catch. You now have been raised to new life with a new heart. A heart for others and for good works. It's right there in verse 9. Not as a result of works, so no one may boast. No one wants to hear from the guy in the body bag again, right? But keep reading verse 10. For we are his workmanship, our new life, our new hearts, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He prepared them. Even the works are part of the gift prepared for us ahead of time. So we now have an outlet for the love that pours out of our hearts I see it like this. It's like, it's like receiving a shiny new baseball bat. You get a new bat, you know you're going to feel the grip. You're going to give it a couple of these to feel the weight. But what do you want now? You want to hit a ball. And a good father is not going to give you a bat and send you off to the park on your own. He's going to come with you. He's going to line you up just right. He's going to pitch you a nice, juicy pitch. I mean, right there in the strike zone. He wants you to hit it. He doesn't, he's not trying to strike you out. He's not trying to get you to miss. He wants you to hit that ball. He wants to hit a dinger. The good works are what your new heart craves, like a new bat craves a nice pitch. God provides every aspect of our new life. We truly are his. We no longer belong to ourselves. There's no longer any room for our own selfish ambitions. We're seated in power with Christ. We can live our lives according to that call. That's the mark of the Christian. It's an outwards observable faith. Christ is alive in us and guides the way we live our lives. So I, I know I said four sections. I'm going to try to sneak in a fifth. Uh, you can call it a conclusion if you want. If, if it was a fifth section, we could call it, why is the gift of God's salvation by faith, by grace, through faith, for good works? And so if you want to know why, let's look at verse 7, because verse 7 starts with, so that. It says, so that in the coming ages... 
he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. See, even the best gifts we've ever received, the best presents we've ever unwrapped, at some point will inevitably disappoint. We'll outgrow them, they'll break, they'll outlive their usefulness, or we might just realize they weren't what we wanted to begin with. But God's gift's not like that. It says here in verse 7 that the point is so we can bask in the perfect, satisfied, satisfied feeling of this gift for the ages to come. The ages. That's not a day or two. I mean, that's the amount of time you use to measure the rise and fall of empires. It's more than a lifetime. When we receive this gift of God, this gift of salvation, by grace, through faith, for good works, we will marvel at this gift that we have received it for more than our lifetime. And one day our time on earth will come to an end. And when we now live with God in perfect communion, reconciled communion, then more than ever, we will marvel at this amazing gift because surely our sin will never look so grotesque as when God shines his glorious light on it. I mean, just think of how we will feel about our petty, nasty, self-centered sin standing before Jesus, who knew no sin and yet took on the cost for our own. In preparing for this sermon, God shined a light on a way that I was swept up in the course of the world, in my career, at work, the impact of my professional behavior. Because years back, that two-cycle billing I was talking about, I pitched that to my boss. I had that implemented on a portfolio of thousands, maybe tens of thousands, I don't even know. People who were already in debt, already struggling to make their payments, had to pay hundreds, maybe thousands more because of something I implemented. I, I don't know what the impact is. I mean, do the math. I can't repay it. I don't know if there were car payments that were missed, mortgage payments. I don't, I can't even think about it. I can't make it right. Why should I receive grace for something I did and cannot make right? There's only one answer. God's grace is more powerful than my sin. And I needed to be reminded of the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards me in Christ Jesus and to marvel at the beauty of this gift and to look forward to a time when I can continue to marvel at this gift of salvation by grace through faith for good works in his holy presence for the ages to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this undeserved 
gift of salvation from sin and death by grace through faith for good works. Lord, please do not let the sense of amazement ever dim. Do not let our marvel grow dull. Help us continue to marvel at the incredible beauty of your gift, that we should receive it. May we continue to be amazed for the ages to come. Amen.